Well, good to see everybody today, and I love this series that we're in called It's Complicated, uh, because our relationships, no matter if you're a Christian here today or not, can become complicated. And uh, last weekend, we kicked off, and ever, for the next four weeks, what we're looking at is a different subject that makes relationships complicated. Last week, uh, we looked at conflict. Today, we're going to look at communication. Next weekend, we're going to look at control. And then the final week is commitment. And these are the things that really make relationships complicated. You know, last week, we talked about conflict and how a lot of times when conflict comes up in our life, we either avoid it or we attack it. But what we find is Jesus has a different way for us to handle conflict. And what he wants us to do is simply just begin to acknowledge it and allow him to do a good work because Jesus says this. He says, hey, he says, if you're worshiping and you remember that you have somebody who has something against you, he says, you go first and be reconciled with them. That you and I begin to step into the complexity of life and relationships and allow God to do a great reconciling work. And what's been incredible this last week is we've had a number of stories of people who have really taken that serious. They've really said, God, there, there's a lot of things complicated in my life right now uh, with different people. And we've had uh, people say, you know what, in our marriage, there's been complicated things that we've needed to talk about. And we've had stories come in all throughout the week of people going, you know what, this last week, we actually took time to talk about what needed to be talked about. Uh, yesterday, right before I preached, I ran into a buddy. He came up and he says, I need to let you know what God did last week in my life. He said, during that sermon, he said, I felt convicted. And he said, here's why. He goes, I've got a brother that I've not spoken to in four years. Four years. And he said, and I felt like the Lord was telling me, you need to reach out to him. And he said, I wrote him a letter, but he said, here was the thing. He said, I really couldn't think what to say, so I wrote a one-word letter. And I said, well, what was it? He said, this is what it was. Lunch, question mark. That was it. He said, that's all I could think to say. He goes, I don't know what to say after you've not spoken to a family member for four years. And he said, he responded, and he said, let's get together this week. And I love how God works in these situations and the complexity. You may have not talked to a family member in four years, but you need to know that your heavenly father wants to restore and reconcile the complicated relationships in your life. And this is the joy of following Jesus, that you may not know how to work things out or things might be overwhelming, but when you give your life to the Lord, he begins to do a new work in your life. Matter of fact, for some of you, you're here today, maybe you're watching online, if you never become a follower of Jesus, at the end of this series on August 14th and 15th, we're gonna give you an opportunity to become a follower of Jesus, to say, God, I'm gonna allow you to reconcile me to your life. That's what 2 Corinthians chapter five is all about. It says that Christ has come to reconcile us and then he makes us ministers of reconciliation. That we are to go into the world and to help bring people back to Jesus. Now here's the deal, when we bring people back to Jesus, that means you and I actually have to talk to people. And we actually have to communicate. And here's what I know today for all of us in this room. Now I know nobody in this room struggles with communication, it's just you folks online, right? And uh, all of us here in this room, we're doing great with this, right? I say that because you guys can't talk back to me right now, right? And, uh, and here's the deal with communication, sometimes we find ourselves on a collision course. I don't know about you, but I found this with communication. You ever find people can communicate without even saying a word? I think some kids have the spiritual gift of the eye roll. 
right? You're like, wow, man, you are majoring in that, you know? And, and here's what I found too. Sometimes we communicate, not even with words, we communicate with silence, don't we? We're just silent. Or maybe we're not silent, but we'll say something like, hey, you know, for some of you, you know, we say stuff like this, you know, here after church today, where do you want to eat? Whatever you want. Did you ever realize that the word, the phrase, whatever you want, doesn't actually mean whatever you want, right? That might be the biggest takeaway today for you. God's like, hey, you need to understand. You're like, well, great. This is where we're going. No, no, no. If a coworker or your spouse or somebody just says whatever you want, it doesn't mean whatever you want. But oftentimes that's what happens. That's how we communicate. Sometimes we're passive aggressive in our communication. I heard this story by uh, Mike McConnell. He was the director of intelligence for the United States a couple years ago. And he talked about the story of mixed up communication. He said there was a sea that, or there was a ship that was traveling by sea at night. And this is what he said. He said the, uh, there was a party who started talking to the ship at night who, that was at sea. And the ship said this. It said, please divert your course 15 degrees to the south to avoid a collision. Well, the response was, we recommend you divert your course 15 degrees to the north to avoid a collision. The first party, first party responded, sorry, sir, you will have to divert 15 degrees to avoid a collision. The second party said, this is the captain of a U.S. aircraft carrier the second largest ship in the U.S. fleet with three destroyers, three cruisers, numerous support vessels. I demand you change your course 15 degrees north or countermeasures will be taken. Do you understand? Now, no, none of us have ever talked to anybody like that before. Here was the response from the other person. Dear captain, the next move is your call but we are a Canadian lighthouse. It's like you can be the biggest, baddest aircraft carrier. Here's the thing, you are on a collision course with a lighthouse. And oftentimes this is what happens with our communication and relationships. We walk into a collision course because we don't really know what we're walking into. We may be walking in and it's fuzzy or you don't have the big picture. You don't know. And we come in and we are talking with authority and we are telling people what to do. And we have no idea really what's happening on the other side. We have no idea how the other people are really feeling. And man, we are talking to today. What we're going to talk about is how Jesus wants us to navigate our communication and our relationship, not just so we can avoid collisions, but so that you and I can actually talk to each other in the way that God talks to us, in the way that God has created us to talk to one another. What he said at the end of the story is this, Mike McConnell said this, he said, here's the point of the story. Know who you're talking to. Know who you're talking to. See, too many times this is what happens in our communications. We just wanna talk beyond people, we never want to take the time to understand who we're actually talking to. 
And here's what I found as today's we're going to get into God's word is this. Here's the question I want you and I wrestling with that really gets to the foundation of why we communicate the way we do with one another. And it's this question. I want this to, to be something that you not just wrestle with today, but during this week is this. It's just a question I've had to wrestle with as I've had to understand my communication, not just how I talk to other people, but even how I talk to myself. And here's the question you and I need to wrestle with today is this. Who is getting the first and the last word in your life. Who's getting the first and the last word in your life? See, whoever's getting the first and the last word in our, in our life drives the conversation. It's the one who begins to guide how we go and how we think and how we talk. I love watching the Olympics with my daughter. She's all into gymnastics and cheer now. And so we've been watching all the Olympics together. And her favorite gymnast is Simone Biles. And heartbreaking story, you know, Simone's put so much work into it. And it's just been overwhelming. I think it's pretty courageous of her just to be honest with herself, to go, I've worked for this. But everything I've been through and the difficulties that she's had to go, you know what? It's not best for me to finish. I'm not in the right state. And here's the deal. I know a lot of us, I wanted to see her finish. And we can all have different thoughts. But here's what I've known is this. I want to pay attention to someone who's been sexually abused and walked through different things and actually respect what's going on in her life. And I found her when she tweeted this, I was thinking about this sermon and, and I found what she said to be very interesting. And listen what she said when she made this tough decision to back up. This is what she put on Twitter. This is what she said. She said, the outpouring love and support I've received has made me realize I'm more than my accomplishments and gymnastics, and then here it is, you ready? Which I never truly believed before. You know what I hear her saying there? I'm not gonna let gymnastics have the first and last word in my life. I think there's some things for you and I today that we need to surrender to God and allow him to have the first and last word in our life. Because here's what happens. Our communication begins to change with one another when we allow God to have the first and the last word in our life. I began to think about this with communications, and one of the things that God put on my heart within this series was this. I was going, God, would you, you know, as, as we're trying to navigate difficult communication today with different people and, and people with different points of view, and uh, the, the scripture that God put on my heart and put on the leadership was this, to walk through the book of Jonah. And here's a couple of reasons why I love the book of Jonah. One, it's two pages long. I can get down with that, right? Man, if you go home this week, you could read the book of Jonah like 10 minutes back. Yep, read a book of the Bible today. What's up? You know, and one, I love Jonah because it's short like that. It's great. But here's what I found out the more I read Jonah is this. Jonah is an absolute book of communication on a collision course. Colliding back and forth, talking with God, talking back to God, talking to other people. Here's the problem a lot of times with the book of Jonah. We just think it's like a book about Moby Dick, right? It's like, this is a book about a big whale. And we're like, see, this is why I can't believe the Bible because it's about this whale, you know, that swallowed up Jonah. And I, I mean, I can't really follow that. And I've heard that argument for a long time. People say, that's why I can't follow, you know, I can't believe in the Bible, stories like this. Can, can I just remind you, one, God's truth is always true. But this happened this year. This is how weird 2021 is. Here's a guy and uh, 
<laughs> I got a picture of this guy that happened. is up in the Northeast. This is Michael Packard. Michael Packard is actually a lobster diver. And this year when he was diving for lobsters, a humpback whale swallowed him whole. This year. You can look it up, all right? This isn't fake news or anything, man. This is real. He's a lobster diver now. Now take that off because it's burning our eyes, right? You know, watching this man. But here's, a, I'm telling you, he went lobster diving, was down at the bottom of the floor in a humpback. Well, he had a scuba gear on and everything. Swallowed him whole for two minutes. I just gotta let you know, it's real, y'all. This is real. Now here's the thing. The whale in the book of Jonah only appears in like one verse. See, part of our problem is this. We easily read things into God's word and we go, oh, see, that's why I'm not gonna let it have the first and last word. Today, God wants to have the first and last word because here's what happens. It changes our communication. It changes the way you and I talk to one another. It changes the way you and I talk to ourselves. This is how the book of Jonah opens up. God begins to talk to Jonah. He's going, I, I want to guide your life. I want to shape your life. And listen to what he says in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And this is what God told him. He said, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God's going, hey, Jonah, here's the word. I want you to go and tell these people, basically what he's saying is, go and tell them to put me first. Here's the deal about Nineveh. They are the baddest country on the face of the planet at that time. They slaughter, I mean, you can read about the history. They would slaughter people. This is what they would do to their enemies. They would go and they would overtake cities. And, and I know we got kids in here, but hey man, I'll, be, I'll try to clean this up as much as I can. When they would kill people, they wouldn't just kill people. Here's what they would do. They would impale people, stick a big rod through their back and hang people outside the city so people knew Nineveh had been here and if you mess with Nineveh, we will impale you. Don't mess with Nineveh. Crazy country, brutal, barbaric, and yet God wanted to save them. Do you feel the tension you and I have as Christians in today's world. God sees the wickedness of nations and countries and he doesn't deny it. What he says is, I want to save them. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh to have them repent and begin to follow me. Listen how Jonah responds in verse three. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Here's what I'm learning about this book already just from this. Our communication with one another is actually a reflection of our communication with God. How you and I talk to one another is actually how we talk and listen to God. Jonah was a Hebrew he was an Israelite. He was a follower of God. And he heard God's call and he's like, uh, no thanks. And not only did he say no thanks, I looked it up on a map. Tarshish is actually as far away as you could get from Nineveh. It wasn't like we just went across to Louisville and spent the night, right? We're not just kind of going away a little bit. Jonah was like, uh-huh, uh-huh, and I'm out. And he runs away. 
Now, here's the deal about healthy communication. God in this place is this. Some of us are going, Nate, okay, well, tell us how to have healthy communication. God is the epitome. He is the layout of what healthy communication is. And if you're wondering how to have healthy communication in your family and in your work and even with yourself, you know what healthy communication is? This is what God tells us it is. Healthy communication always involves two things. Ready? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. This is what God says. He goes, I want you to go to the great city of Nineveh. Because their wickedness has come up before me. What he's saying is this, man, they have technological advancements. Man, they are great. We talked about it. Jacob talked about it, man, today at communion. Man, there are great things in cities. I love cities. You know why I love cities? Because they have food, right? I know, you were waiting for something real spiritual, weren't you? Man, I love cities. You know what's in cities? Sports. Man, they have life. They have all sorts of things. I love the dynamic of cities. And just because cities have great things like that, they're incredible blessings. God says, I also understand the wickedness. And what he's saying is this, Jonah, here's what it looks like to live in communication with the world. You and I are to communicate with the world full of grace and truth. And here's why you need both. If you're taking notes, you may want to write this down. This is what I found is this, grace without truth Here's the deal, it's not helpful. When you and I just speak with grace, but we forget truth, it's not helpful to anybody. And here's the flip side of it. Truth without grace isn't hopeful. Too many times we can become a reputation of this. Well, that guy's just a straight shooter. We need to speak truth to one another. Here's the deal, but we need to speak truth with grace. See, this is why Jesus comes in and he embodies this. This is why Jesus changes the way the church talks to one another and talks with the world and we talk with ourselves. This is what it says in John chapter 1, verse 14. This is what it describes Jesus as. It says, the word, Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father. And here it is, full of grace and truth. See, our communication begins to change when we speak not just with grace and not just with truth, but grace and truth. Problem is this, Jonah didn't want to do either. He didn't want to speak grace. He also didn't want to speak truth. He just runs away from God. Listen to what happens, verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship he was on threatened to break up. Here's what I found oftentimes in my life. I don't know if you found this before. You ever said something to somebody and immediately regretted what you said? Just me? Okay, all right, good, right? You know, leaving me out here all alone. I see you. But man, I tell you, you know what happens as soon as I say something that I immediately regret? You know what I feel comes into my life? Storms. Storms begin to come around. And what happens is when we say things that, man, aren't full of grace and aren't full of truth, they're just full of ourselves, man, storms come up in our lives. And what you find in the rest of Jonah here in chapter one is this, the storms that came up on Jonah impacted the sailors on the ship. See, our words never just impact us, do they? They always impact those around us. For some of us here today, man, we've got storms brewing in our life and not every storm that you have in your life right now is a byproduct of something that you've done or something that you've said. So I wanna be clear on that. But 
but if we can be honest with each other this morning, a lot of the storms that you and I are facing right now and some of the storms I'm facing are actually our fault, aren't they? See that storm that came up in Jonah's life? That's because he decided to not allow God to be first in his life. Some of the relationship storms that you're facing right now, it's because the Lord's not first. For some of us, we get into financial troubles. And the reason why we're in financial trouble is this. It's not just because of hard times. Oftentimes, it's because we've never allowed the Lord to be first. And storms begin to come around and storms begin to impact these sailors. And these sailors are looking around at each other going, whose fault is this? And they cast lots and the lots come to Jonah and they're like, Jonah, what have you done? And he just says, listen, I've been running from the Lord. And what he's saying is this, I'm not allowed the Lord to be first. And then this is what he tells him in verse 12. He says, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will become calm. And I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. See, this is why it's important that we allow Jesus to be first in our communication. That we allow Jesus to drive and to dictate our words because it causes storms, not just for us, but for others. He, and then it said, instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They didn't want to throw him over, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, oh Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you, oh Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows to him. Isn't it amazing in the midst of this storm, the sailors gave their life to the Lord? What they were doing in this moment is this. They're going, wow, we need to put God first. We need to begin to allow him to lead our life. And it says this in verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. This is what's incredible about this story is that when even you and I find ourselves on a collision course with our communication and words that we've said, and we go, I don't know how to get out of this, what happens is this, Jonah says, okay, God, I'm gonna put you first. And he tells the guys, throw me overboard. And what we find is this, the same God who brought the storm is the same God who sent the great fish. Let me just give you encouragement today. When you and I experience God's rescue, if you want to experience his rescue, it's when you and I give God the first word in our life. God wants to rescue our relationships. He wants to rescue the broken things in our life. He wants to rescue the words that you've said. Some of the biggest things that we can say today that God will rescue is this, is for you and I to go to people that maybe we have spoken out of turn to and said stuff like this, you know what? That's my fault, and I'm sorry. We have no idea the power of the rescue when we put God first in our story, when we put God first. What's amazing is this. Oftentimes, we, we kind of skip around this part, but what I want to do is I just want to read real quick. I want to read Jonah's prayer back to God because here he is. God speaks to Jonah. He runs away, and then he begins to put God first and listen to his prayer back to God. This may be a prayer that some of you pray today going, God, I'm coming back to you today. God, I'm going to put you first in my relationships today. Listen what he says. 
It says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord as God. And he said, Lord, in my distress, I called to you and you answered me. Man, if you're in a storm today, just call out to the Lord. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep and into the very heart of the seas and the currents, they swirled about me and all your waves and breakers, they swept over me. And I have said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. And then listen to this prayer. But you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. You have a God today that wants to bring your life and my life up from the pit, up from the storms. And he goes on to say this, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple, to those clinging to worthless idols, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with the song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed to make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. Powerful prayer moment. All right, God, I'm gonna let you have the first word. God, you're the one who meets me in the pit. God, you're the one. I got seaweed wrapped around my head and you meet me right where I am and you rescue me from all of the collision course that I've been on. And then this is what it says in verse 10. After he prays this great prayer and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Isn't that the weirdest ending to a prayer? And all God's people said, amen, right? And just this awkward moment, great spiritual moment. God, I'm gonna put you first. You've saved my life. Wow, right? And just comes flying out on the beach. Man, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, read his word, man. I love that God's going, hey, and here's why. You know why he sends him back out? He's going, this is great, Jonah. You're allowing me to have the first word in your life. Now, here's the deal. Allow me to have the last word in your life and go to Nineveh. God has called you and I to be people who don't just communicate with God, but to be people who go and communicate with his world. I tell you what, God loves our city more than we could ever dream. God loves our region more than you and I could ever dream. God loves this nation, God loves our continent. God loves our world. For God so loved the world, what? That he gave. I love this region. I love this place. And God is saying, when you put me first, you'll begin to know how to talk to the people in your region. Boy, I've never been to Crothersville, but guess what? God has. And God loves Crothersville and God loves the small cities and God loves the small towns and God is going, I know you think there's insignificant places in this world, but no place is insignificant because every place bears my image and I've saved you so you can go tell them about me. Where do you need to allow God to have the first word in your life today? Right after that, after he saves Jonah, he says this in chapter three, says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, the message I gave you. Go tell them that I want you to turn and follow me. 
Verse five, he goes into Nineveh and verse six, or five, it says this. And here's what's wild. The Ninevites believed God. You know why our communication needs to start with God first? Because there's a lot of people that God wants to save that you and I don't believe he actually does. And we need to allow God to have the first word. And we need to allow God to have the last word. He goes into Nineveh and he preaches and he says, listen, repent or you guys are going to be overthrown. And their lives change. It says they declared a fast and all of them from the greatest to the least put on sackcloth. And when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. This brutal, barbaric city put God first in their life. Can you just dream with me for a moment? I wonder in your life today who God is longing to save through the message of Jesus through you. Would you dream this year? Would we dream big dreams with God this year? God, who is it that you wanna reach Who is it that you want to redeem? Says this in verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon the destruction he had threatened. God relented. He's like, all right, if you guys are gonna put me first, I'm gonna come after you. I'm gonna come after you. And I imagine, you know what? If I'm Jonah in this moment, I'm probably like doing the victory dance. Like, yay, God, man, this is incredible. You saved people. Nobody thought you would save. Listen how Jonah responds in verse one of chapter four. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Rut-row. Jonah, how are, how are you upset that Nineveh just changed their life over? And he prayed this to the Lord. He said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. See, this is why we wanna read God's word. Boy, we're like, Jonah, how, how are you How are you disappointed that unconnected people are connecting to God? Here's why. Jonah had let God have the first word. But Jonah hadn't yet come to a place where he would allow God to have the last word. This is why it's so important in our relationships and our communication with one another that you and I would allow God to have the first and the last word. The Lord simply asked this question to him in verse four, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? Here's what happened in Jonah. Jonah loved being the people of God so much that he failed to love the people that God loves. It was Jonah's nationalism that got in the way of loving the nations like God loves the nations. See, this is why you and I, we've got to allow God to have the first and the last word because we don't know how to talk with the world. We don't know how to talk with ourselves. We don't know how to talk with one another unless we have the ways of God in our lives. Matter of fact, what happens is this. Jonah gets up on a hill and he oversees Nineveh and he just sits there and he waits to see if God's going to destroy it. 
And the sun starts beating down on his head and his son starts getting sunburnt. It says he, wanted, he was growing faint and he's just sitting there waiting to see like a lightning bolt destroy the city. Well, that's sick, isn't it, man? He's just sitting there going, God, I hope it burns, right? You know, and he's just sitting there waiting for God to destroy the city and God never does. And actually what happens is it says this, that God grew a vine to give him shade. And he's like, oh, thanks, God. And then the next day a worm came along and ate the shade. Again, man, God's got a silly sense of humor. I love it. And listen how this scenario ends in verse nine. It says, but God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about the vine, though you did not attend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? God's saying, Jonah, would you allow me to have the last word? What's incredible is the book of Jonah ends with that question. You don't know what Jonah does. But God says this, I'm inviting you to allow me to have the first and the last word. See, if we, you and I want our words to change, here's what we got to understand. Giving God the last word is what changes our words. You don't have to worry about having all the words. All you need to do is this. God, I'm going to give you the first and the last word today. God, before I speak, I'm going to give you the first word. God, at the end of the day, I'm going to allow you to have the last word. Here's the beautiful thing about being followers of Jesus in this place today. Every single one of us, just like Jonah, have run away from God. We've ran to God, and now God is sending us to run to others. Matter of fact, there's an incredible story about one of our leaders, Matt Fleener, here in our church who when we were praying through this text, his name came up because his life is a reflection of the life of Jonah. And I wanna share a little bit of his journey with God and allowing God to have the first and the last word in his life. Take a listen to his story right now. Growing up, God was very much to me a you know, like a, you know, people will say like that cosmic cop. God was just waiting for me to screw up. And if, if I died before I had time to ask for forgiveness again, that I, I'm going straight to hell anyways. I think that began this journey of isolating away from people who cared about me. And after I graduated, I didn't speak to, to my family for a while. And I began just couch surfing at friends houses. Then I began to isolate from those people that were caring for me too, those friends I had as I was kind of bouncing around from place to place. And I, I would end up staying like outside um, around town or, or stay um, in the woods, like on the outskirts of town and stuff like that. And I was like retreating into myself and like giving into these, these feelings of, of, you know, anger and sadness and, and depression. There was these nights where I just um, remember in one side of my head screaming like there is no God and just being so confident of that while the other side of my head was, was begging God to just let me die. I couldn't keep doing what I was doing because it was too painful. And so when I first came back from being in isolation, 
<laughs> my heart was just so broken and dark. I didn't want the life that I had anymore. That first began when I met my wife. We began to kind of forge this, this new life. It really came to a head one night um, where I was given a choice. Like, do I want a new life with a family and with these things, or do I want to continue on this path that I was of just, to me, it was just aimless and hopeless. And my wife was invited to a Christmas tea at church. And when she came back, she, from that event, she told me that she wanted to, to begin to, to take our boys there. And that started my journey back. And the more, the more that I leaned in, the more that I involved myself in others' lives, um, I really feel like, you know, in that moment, what Christ had done is, is saved me and, and redeemed all of those things and all of that journey. I was in this place in my life where I felt like God was really speaking to me and I was, I was for the first time I was listening. I feel like he's always telling us these things, but I feel like the first time I was listening. Being at the church every weekend, uh, as I was on staff at the time, um, I was seeing Matt often from a distance, always interacting with people. Being in ministry can often be a lonely place because so many of your relationships are based on the ministry aspect. You know, you're building relationships with volunteers, you're ministering to people, you're learning a lot about their personal life and often not getting to share as much about your personal life. So it took me by surprise that there was a person who was just intentionally trying to be my friend. And I think both of us were seeing how God was bringing our lives together. We ran these ideas by each other and I was talking about, you know, not wanting to start a church, but wanting to start a type of ministry that is literally just meeting uh, the poor and the marginalized where they are. So the mission of Nomad is to make disciples of Jesus by taking the gospel to the margins of society. So that works in two ways, in that we are trying to help connect the poor and the marginalized to a relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're also trying to connect people who already believe in Jesus to the type of ministry that brings them close to the poor and marginalized, which means going to soup kitchens, going down alleyways, looking into homeless camps, uh, going to food pantries, all of the places where the poor typically gather to communicate the idea that um, in the love of Christ, we love you too. We want to walk with you. We want to be a spiritual resource for you, with you, pray for you, connect you to churches, that kind of thing. The shift for me was was this a very, very worldly, selfish perspective to seeing things with kingdom eyes. I don't forget where I came from. I don't want to ever. I talk about this with people. Like, I don't ever want to forget the things that I've walked through. God has taken me from this place and now given me an opportunity to step into lives for others, for his namesake, for his glory, is like the most amazing like gift apart from eternal salvation in, in faith in him that I've ever been given. Can we thank God for his rescue story of Matt? Well, I love his story of someone who is absolutely running as far away as possible to now being someone who is running to those who are absolutely forgotten, saying God hasn't forgotten you. God knows you by name. And uh, here's what's incredible that God's done through Preston and through Matt. Matt's actually going to be out in uh, the living room if you want to chat with him, encourage him after the service. Uh, but through Nomad, their ministry that they started, uh, they, they partner with over 35 different community organizations and over 30 churches have now partnered with them 
to go and love our city and to love our region. And earlier this summer, Matt called me and said, hey, the facility that we're in, we're outgrowing. He said, would you guys at Northside, uh, you know, he comes here as one of our leaders. He said, would you guys uh, be willing to sell your building that you have down on 15th and Oak in downtown New Albany where we run our food pantry out of, would you guys be willing to sell that to us? We'll still do the food pantry, but we need more space for ministry. And this will be a great place for collaboration for the community. And uh, we prayed about, we're like, absolutely. Absolutely, we want to sell that to you and to continue to expand that. And uh, we're in the process right now of finalizing that, but God is expanding our way of reaching our community and loving our community. And uh, we run our Kid Town ministry out of that as well. And uh, what's so cool is not only was Nomag in there, we're going to continue to do our Kid Town ministry. Uh, we've hired a new minister for that. His name is Mark Clayton. Got a picture of him up here with his family. There's Mark. And uh, he's been a volunteer down there for Kid Town for the last two years, part of our Northside family. God is calling him to step into that. And he's brought, uh, God's also brought Caroline Krause onto our staff to be our new local outreach minister. Got her picture up there and you can go chat with them after service. But here's what I know. God is writing a story that says this, if you allow me to have the first word and the last word, I will do more in your life and through your life than you could dare to dream or imagine. I wanna save the nations. I wanna save the region. I wanna save you but would you just let me have the first and the last word in your life? Northside today, in this season, may you and I give the Lord the first and the last word in our lives, amen? May you go in his peace today and allow him to lead your life. God bless you all. We'll see you next weekend.